How are y'all doing tonight? Are you good? You know, you're talking about baptism. I've been uh, reading some books about the early church. And did you know, did you know that back in the early days, you know, like back in 200, AD, you know, 200, 300 AD and all that, you know, after the church was born and, and uh, the disciples had gone to be with the Lord and we were, you know, moving along with the church, starting to develop the church. Did you know that if you were going to be baptized, did you know that you had to fast for 40 days before you were baptized? Exactly. If you were going to get baptized, you had to fast for 40 days. That's how they came up with the, the, the term Lent. Did you ever re- wonder where they came up with Lent? Anybody ever celebrate Lent? One. <laughs> I think you have to go to like ecumenical type churches like uh, uh, Lutheran and those kinds of churches, Episcopalian, some of the more original, the older churches that kind of dated back to then. Yeah, if you were going to get baptized, they took it so seriously. You had to take classes. You had to, you know, like confess all your sins and you had to fast for 40 days. I thought, man, I'm so glad I live today. Anyway, are you ready to get uh, rocking and rolling here with uh, the book of Genesis? Are you ready? This is our last opportunity. And uh, last Sunday night, or Saturday night, we, uh, we ended with Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, that's in chapter 18. So open up your Bibles to chapter 18. Now, there are over 50 chapters in Genesis. So if this is my last night, guess what? We got, no, I'm just kidding. I won't do it. <laughs> I won't do it. But I do want to get us to kind of resolving Abraham. How many of you guys have enjoyed the story and the life of Abraham? Do you have a new understanding for, for the father of our faith now? I'm hoping that you kind of see him as just alive and filled with the just great things and uh, that, that Abraham now means something more to you than just a figure right? So uh, let's go ahead and get started. We ended last time with Sodom and Gomorrah. We ended, ended last time chapter 18. Let me just give you a quick, quick, quick review. So if you look at chapter 18, the very beginning, it said that the Lord appeared to Abraham and as he was sitting near some great trees. So three gentlemen, three visitors came to Abraham. And he's sitting there at the opening of his tent, the heat of the day. And he looks up and there's three people. Now, you don't usually see people walking by the desert in the middle of the day. This is kind of an, you know, an interesting thing. So he gets up and he runs to them. He makes them lunch. You know, he takes care of them. He washes their feet. And uh, uh, they, one of them says, hey, where's Sarah? And he's like, Sarah, how do you know my wife's name is Sarah? So he start, it starts dawning on him that these are not just basic guys that came walking by in the, the heat of the day in the desert. That these were actually divine visitors. And uh, uh, so he's like, well, she's in the tent. And, uh, and he said, well... You know, the, the promises are going to come to, true, and in one year from today, I'm going to come back, and she's going to have a baby. And uh, in the tents, uh, now, remember, uh, Sarah's getting old. She's 90, and uh, 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 Abraham is pushing 100. Yeah, think about it for just a moment. These are not, these, yeah. And uh, the Bible says there that she laughed. She laughed to herself. And actually, it was a mocking laugh. She laughed inside of herself. She's like, you've been telling me that for years. And you have not made anything come to pass. I have been sitting here. 
I am now finished with all of my womanly cycles. I am done. My body is dead. And now you come and say next year I'm going to have a baby. Yeah, right. And the angel of the Lord is standing outside the tent and says, why did she laugh? And she goes, I didn't laugh. And he goes, yeah, you laughed, okay? <laughs> um, so I like that little verse there. Um, uh, go down to chapter, uh, verse 15, if you could put it up there. Let's just look at that verse right there. It says, uh, um, Sarah's afraid. Let's see. Oh, actually start at uh, 13. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? I love that little line. Is there anything, even impossibilities, is that even too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the point of time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yep, you did laugh. (laughs) God knows our inner thoughts. Remember we talked about that last week. Uh, you can think you have a, you know, like private little conversation going on inside of your head, but you really don't. It's being attended to and listened to by, by one other being. Amen? And he knows our inner thoughts. So uh, if you ever laugh and he asks you if you laugh, don't lie. Just, just own up. Okay, so then uh, two, the two of the visitors leave. And uh, the, 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 the son of man actually stays back and he says to himself should i share shouldn't i share with abraham what's what's going to happen i mean he's my friend and he he is close to me um Verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that, or that word right there could be interpreted also, because he directs his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is just and right. So the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he had promised. And then it goes on, and he says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham now begins the most interesting um, exchange, shall we say, with, with the Son of God right now. He spends the rest of the conversation in intercession, The first written prayer in the word of God is intercession of the mighty man of God, the prophet of the Lord, interceding for both the righteous and the wicked. This is to be our response to the world today. We live in times filled with evil. And our response is not supposed to be to fear or to quake or to run or tisk, tisk, tisk or wag our finger. But instead, our response has got to be intercession. And he starts out and he says, God, you are a just God. Will you wipe away? Will you sweep away the just with the unjust? For I know you to be a just God. So if there's 50 in those five cities, there was five cities on the plane. If there's 50 righteous people, will you save the... those cities. And God says, sure, I will. Yes, I will. Do you hear what's happening here? The, The righteous man is beginning to change God's mind. 
Okay, so if there's not 50, what if there's five less? What if there's 45? Yes, I'll do it. What if there's 40? Yes, I'll do it. What if there's 30? Yes, I will do it. Now remember, he's, he's interceding for the righteous, for the sake of the righteous, but in the, in the same moment, who else is being saved? The wicked. We're putting off judgment so there would be more time for potential restoration. He gets all the way down to 10. And he stops. 10 being the number of a synagogue congregation. If you had 10 practicing Jews to gather together, you had a synagogue. He stops at 10, but that's a problem, isn't it? Because how many did he actually find? Four. And actually, we don't know about the daughters. We know that Lot was a righteous man, and that's all we know. But that righteous man saved his house. So the angels say, go. Is there anybody else in this? Oh, they had that big interchange. Remember that all the men of the city came to his house and they're all banging on the door. We want those guys that came to yours, your house. Send them out of here so we can have sex with them. That's what, that's what it says. I didn't make that one up. That's what it says. Let us have them. And, and Lot goes out and he says, no, 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 take my daughters. Now remember, that sounds so horrible. But remember hospitality in those days. You were to die if your guests were harmed in any way. And he was also, I believe, banking on the fact that they wouldn't want the girls. They weren't after that. He goes, take my daughters. No, we want those men. Can you imagine? Every man in the city was standing there doing this. This was no just, you know, a few, you know, riffraff down the street at the park. This was every, this was the entire city. And so the angel pulls them in and he makes them blind, blinds their eyes. And he says, come on, guys. Okay, now listen, if you know anybody in the city, if you have any other family, go get them now. So he goes to the men that these, his daughters are to marry, and they won't come. They think he's joking. So he comes back to the house, and the angels are saying to him constantly, okay, now listen, is this it? We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. And, and the Bible says that, that Lot hesitated. He was being, he, can you imagine having to leave everything that you own, everything that you have, everything that you've worked for, because it was all going to be destroyed? How would you feel? I mean, I've often thought, okay, if I was in a fire, my house was burning down, what would I grab? I think I'd grab lunch. I don't know what I would My pictures, you know, what would I grab? The grandma's picture hanging in the... I don't know what I'd grab, but he was, he was hesitating. He was hesitating. And finally, the angels grabbed him by the hand and yanked him out and got him out of the city. Now, and they said, he said, run, run as fast as you can to the mountains. Get out of here because I can't do anything until you get to the mountains. And Lot, by this time, can you imagine how emotionally spent he was? Can you imagine that? Just try to imagine. And so Lot says, I can't make it. I just, I can't go all the way. Can I go to that little city over there, that littlest of the five? The little tiny, thinking little tiny town with little tiny people, maybe little tiny sin, and maybe God would be willing to spare that. And so the angel says, sure, go over there, okay? Instead of trusting God for the, for the, the, already so many miracles have been going on. Maybe God would have just, bam, right there, if he would have had faith. I don't know. But he said, okay. So he ran, they run to Zoar, Z-O-A-R is the name of the city. If it's up there, I don't know. Um, 
So he gets to Zoar. As soon as he gets to the city of Zoar, fire and brimstone become, begin falling from the sky. Now, we also know, and I don't know if I brought this last time, this area, this plain, it says a couple of chapters back that there were fill, it was filled with tar pits, big, huge tar pits. And when, he was, when Abraham was going after all those kings to bring back Lot, remember it said that a lot of the people fell into the tar pits? Okay, so when that fire started falling, actually what a lot of writers believe is that the whole land began to burn. These tar pits caught on fire, and underneath the earth, the whole thing started to burn. Now, remember, this whole plain used to be the garden of the Lord. That's why Lot picked it. Remember how beautiful it was? And that's why he picked it. Now, do you remember the pictures I showed you last week of how absolutely barren it is? Not one thing grows there, not one thing. It is dead. And if you go to the Dead Sea, it's also called asphalitis or something like it. sounds like a disease, doesn't it? I don't think I have that word right. But because of all the tar. And inside of that, uh, the, sea of, uh, the Dead Sea, there's black tar. Oh, you got the pictures. Look, there's nothing there. Go to the next one. Is there another one? That's actually the cave where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Anyway, okay, you can take those pictures down. Anyway, there's, you could go to the Dead Sea, and they have big, huge vats of this black tar that you're supposed to rub on your body, and it makes you um, heal up and soaks all the toxins. I don't know, but it's ugly. And I have pictures of us standing there going like this, and we're totally black with white eyes sticking out. <laughs> it's awful. But the place, the area is still full of that tar. It's very, very interesting. It bubbles up. As, lar- as large as hippopotamuses, some of them have, you know, and they dig those out. Yeah, kind of interesting. That whole area is, it is, it is so unique. And it becomes, you know, the more I learn about it, I'm like, man, something truly divine happened there because that's not a natural area. It's just, it's just all weird. So... Um, so then by the time Lot, this is verse 23, by the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen and the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah and the Lord out of the heavens, from the Lord out of the heavens and he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those in the cities and, all, and also the vegetation and the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Hmm. Lot's wife. We never know her name. We never know anything about her. That's all she gets in the Bible. That's it. But once again, think about it. All your friends, all your family, everything that you've ever known, her whole way of life, all of her, her new curtains she sewed just that day and hung that day before, or, or you know, whatever, all of, all of it she had to leave. How many of you had to leave something behind? How many of us have had to leave behind the, the wretchedness? Some of it was good. There was good people in that life. There was good things or whatever, but we had to leave it behind because it was filled with sin and it was our old way of life. She had to run from that and she had to leave it. And, you know, my heart, at first I always thought, boy, she is the dumbest Dora for looking back. But you know what? Thinking about it, I think I've looked back how many times as I'm running. And the Bible says the word there that looked means to scan with desire. 
So she was torn. She was torn. Do I keep, do I run to God? I don't know what God's going to give me. I don't know what's going to happen. Where am I going to sleep tonight? What am I going to eat for the rest of my life? What's going to happen with me? But I know what this is. This is so familiar. I know how to work this kind of life. So, you know, they're running and she looks back and she's like, how many of you have ever felt desire for the things that you've had to leave? She looked back with desire. The Bible says she became a pillar. Pillars are immovable. They become stationary. They can't go anywhere. They can't go forward. When you look back, you, you, you halt. What's the word halt? Or you, you don't go forward. You're stuck when you start looking back. And she became not only just a pillar, she became a pillar of salt. Salt is bitter. People who are being drawn out of their old ways and out of wickedness, but, and, and they're running towards the salvation of God, if they stop and they begin to consider what they've lost and they consider what's behind them and they start getting ambivalent, they start hesitating, they will become very bitter people. The most miserable people on the planet are ones who know God's love, know what to do, know where to go, but they're hesitating and they're, they've got a foot in, back here still and they've turned around and looked back. They are the most unpleasant people. She became a pillar of salt. Verse 29, Then God destroyed the cities of the plain and he remembered Abraham. And he brought Lot out of the catastrophe and overthrew the cities. He remembered Abraham. Do you remember that, that, that phrase? It's been used once before so far in Genesis. Where is it? Anybody? Do you remember when Noah was in the ark and he'd been in it for a year? And he'd lost everything and the, the, the waves and the water and, and everything was going on. And, and he'd floated there for a month after a month waiting and, you know, and it had landed finally and it was drying up and God still didn't say go out. No, no, no. But the Bible says, I, th- I believe it's chapter, one, uh, chapter 8 verse 1 where he says, and, but God remembered Noah. He never forgets us. When we're close to his heart, he will remember us. He remembered Abraham. Okay, so that's where we ended last time. Now, verse 30, Lot and his two daughters. This, this last little section is kind of an odd section, and it always kind of made me wonder why in the world it's in there. So I'm going to go as fast as I can through this and the next little bit because I want to get to the good stuff in 22. Okay, you ready? Lot and his two daughters. Remember, now he doesn't have a wife. So he's lost Everything plus his wife. He only has his two daughters. Can you imagine the grief he's carrying right now? Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled. Can you imagine what the people in Zoar thought? Wow, bad day for all them. You know, everybody outside of their city. There's the only city that that, uh, survived. And when you go there now, there's, they have not been able to find ruins of any of these other cities. They actually think they're under the water of the Dead Sea. It's a very possible thing. But they have found the, the remains of Zoar. And Zoar will come up in the next chapters of um, the books of the Bible in the Old Testament there. Okay, David, you're going to hear stories about David in this city. and So this city comes up. But it's kind of interesting, that city only 
is there because Lot ran to it. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. Okay, okay, um, they settled in the mountains for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he did finally make it to the mountains because he, he was afraid to stay in Zoar. Can you imagine what the people of Zoar thought about him? Why was he afraid? He and his two daughters went and lived in a cave. One day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old and there is no man around here to lie with us, as is the custom all over the earth. Let us go to our father, have him drink wine, and then lie with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and laid with him, and he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. And the next day the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I lay with our father, now let's get him drunk with wine again tonight, and you go in and lay with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night. Oopsie. Also, and the younger daughter went and lay with him, and he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. Who's, what, is, what happens with Moab? Moab turns into the Moabites. Who is a famous Moabite? A Moabitess. Moabitess. Ruth. Yeah. Sounds like another disease, doesn't it? So Ruth, there's, there's this time frame here where Lot, with his two daughters, his two daughters realize that there's, they, for all they know, this is what a lot of writers believe, for all they know that the entire world got burned up. So their thinking at this point is that there truly is no hope for them other than the people down in Zoar, and they don't want to have any, they're, you know, they're mean, they don't want to have anything to do with them. So the thought is that that is why they they did this. So the older daughter had a son named Moab who grew into being the land of Moab, the Moabites, who will bother the Israelites in the future. The Moabites and the Israelites have a lot of conflict. And Ruth comes out of here. He is the father of the Moabites of today. And the younger daughter also had a son, and his name was Ben-Ami, and his father, he is the father of the Ammonites to this day. So the Ammonites also will pop up in the future if you continue reading through the kings and um, the, the judges and all that. The Ammonites are a part of that too that come up and rise up against Israel as well. But that's where they came from. Very, very interesting, don't you think? Now from this point on, you will never hear of Lot again. He's done. So this is the end of Lot. We don't know anything more of what happens to him or whatever, but um, this is the end of Lot. So now, chapter 20. Uh, now remember, the, the message from those angels were that uh, next year this time, Sarah's going to have a baby. So by that, we know that the next couple of chapters, until Isaac is born, it happens within a year. Okay. So this next chapter is very likely that Sarah is pregnant during this time frame. Maybe early pregnancy, but it's very likely that she's pregnant during these next couple chapters. Now Abraham, Abraham moved on from there to the region of Negev and lived in between Kadesh and Shur for a while. And for a while he stayed in Gerar. Now Gerar is a, one of the five cities of the Philistines. What do you guys know about the Philistines? 
Goliath. He is one of the Philistines. The Philistines are going to give, give the Israelites horrible times coming soon. Coming soon to, near to a Bible near you or whatever. In um, David and Saul's days. Okay, so the Philistines are a very terrible people. But uh, at this point, they're not. He goes to this city, one of the five cities of the Philistines, Gerar. And there Abram said to his wife, said about his wife, she is my sister. Oh, Abraham, why are you doing this again? Do you remember a couple of weeks ago? What did he do when they traveled to Egypt? She's my sister. And what happened? Pharaoh took her. And it was a terrible, awful time, and he had a dream. He had a, God had to come to him in a dream. Don't touch the woman. Give her back. And there was just, you know, this, this kind of clash or whatever. But the Pharaoh actually ended up giving Abraham a lot of goods when he left Egypt, right? Well, the same thing's going to happen again. Why did he do it again? These are the only two times that Abraham has any kind of moral failure. He followed God and obeyed God every time God told him to do the big things. Like, go circumcise everybody in your household. Okay, let's do it. Or, you know, get up and move to a land I will show you. Okay, let's do it. Whatever God told Abraham to do, he was on board and doing it immediately. But when, when it came to this very simple trust issue, that God will take care of me. Abraham blew it both times. The Bible says I was, he, that Abraham says, I was afraid that you would hurt me because my wife was so pretty. Isn't that interesting? So the father of the faith had an Achilles heel. Fear of persecution. You know, I hate personal pain myself, you know, so I can understand. I would probably lie too. I, you know, <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, I mean, this, it's very, very interesting. And I think God put this in here for us to understand that even the greatest of the Bible fell and had an Achilles heel and would, would stumble even over the same thing, even after amazing, amazing things. How many of you guys stumble sometimes? Okay, so we're all in the same boat with Abraham, right? So we're going to kind of rush through here. Um, so um, very interesting. Down to uh, verse 6, Jesus, God said to him in a dream, he came to Abimelech, the king of Gerar, who had taken Sarah. Yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience, because um, the previous verses, Abimelech kind of whines. But he, he told me, you know, that's what they said. I'm, I'm, my hands are clean on this thing. It's not my fault. So verse 6, he says, yeah, I know that you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you. This is the first time the word prophet is used in the Bible. So whenever it's used for the first time, we need to kind of pay attention. That's, it's the law of first mention. This is the first time the word prophet is, is, is said. And what, is the, what did God say that the prophet would do? Pray for you. The role of a prophet is prayer first. Now the prophet, you know, sometimes you'll have prophets come in and they won't do their share of praying, but they'll do their share of prophesying. Prophesying needs to come after the praying. 
And if the prophet in, in you feels like you have a word, then you better go pray it through before you ever say it through. Because if you say it before you pray it, it ain't going to be pretty. Because your first role as prophet is to pray for people. For as he, pro- he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you, will, uh, you may be sure that you and yours will die. So the next morning, Abimelech does it. He, he brings uh, in Abraham and says, what have you done to us? I have done you no wrong. Uh, you've brought great guilt on me and my kingdom. I'm sure at this moment he's probably thinking about Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, protect my kingdom, you know. <laughs> you know, big things happen when you seem to come around. Anyway, um, Abraham said, I, I said to myself, there's surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. When in reality, it's understood that this king and this city actually was a righteous king. You know, sometimes we get afraid and we think that we're the only ones serving God. But a lot of times we're not. So they go on, Abimelech in verse 14 gives Abraham a bunch of sheep and cattle and female slaves and all sorts of things. And, and he even says, my land is before you, take anything, live here with me. So Abimelech is offering hand of friendship to Abraham. And uh, to Sarah, I'm giving you your brother a thousand shekels of silver. Uh, then verse 17, Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his slave girl so that they could have children again, for their wombs had been closed because of Sarah, Abraham's wife, Sarah. So kind of an interesting, kind of quirky moment in Abraham's life again. I've often read that chapter and gone, you know, what's the point? What's the point? Why did you do this? Let's move on. But... I believe that the reason that God put this in here is for us to see that Abraham struggled. He had his ups and downs. He had his ins and outs. He wasn't always perfect. Chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah, as, just as he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore. Then, uh, when the son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. hundred years old. What's the name uh, Isaac mean? Anybody know? Laughter. Laughter. So what started a year ago when God promised this to Sarah or to Abraham and Sarah heard and laughed, it was a mocking laugh. It was a, I'm sure, yeah, right laugh. But the day this young child was born, I'm sure Sarah laughed. Only this time it was a different laugh. The laugh that comes when God comes through. How many of you have ever had a laugh like that? How many of you have ever had a laugh when that happens, when that moment happens, when that miracle happens, when that thing comes through, when that oh my word happens? You kind of laugh. That is what God is all about. How come the Bible talks so much about the joy of the Lord? 
Because when God is present and his things come through for us, as we have been walking through trials and temptations, it makes us laugh. The presence of God and his miracles are to be our joy. And there are days that you walk through that you're not seeing the absolute fruition of the the promise. But the promise that is coming should be enough to make you laugh through those days. If you can laugh through your hard times, Proverbs 31 says that that woman laughs at her future because she knows what God will do in the midst of it. God is a God of joy even in the midst of difficult times. Amen? All right. Verse 6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she, and she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? It's interesting, she made it plural. We don't know if she had any more, but she made it plural. Do you see that? <laughs> she made it plural. Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Verse 8, the child grew and was weaned. Okay, so the question is, is how old was, a, was Isaac when he was weaned? There's many, many different thoughts. Some say that they would wean their children at two or three. Some say that the weaning actually didn't happen until five or seven. There are lots of um, uh, writers that say that it was five, seven, and even to the age of ten. Sometimes I know, can you imagine that? (laughs) Nursing these young, (laughs) what? But the thought is because they're out in the desert, there wasn't a lot of, you know, nutrition and that kind of thing. But anyway, so let's just say he's three because I kind of like that. It kind of sits better with me in my mind. (laughs) But also that's kind of the majority of what people believe, what a lot of writers say. So he was three when he was weaned. The child grew, even at that, man, my kids were six months and they were done. I don't know about you guys, but wow. But anyway, the child grew and he was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. Now, one of the reasons why they hold a great feast at this point is because the kid lived. Not many of them lived past infancy. So they would have a feast when the child was weaned and now taking nourishment, you know, regular food. It was a celebration because now that child is most likely going to live till adulthood. Kind of interesting, huh? So they had a big party because he lived. But Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, had, uh, who the Egyptian had born to Abraham, was mocking. So Ishmael is mocking Isaac. The thought at this point is that Ishmael's about 13 and Isaac is 3. And he's mocking him. Now, let's remember a few things. First of all, Ishmael is the son of Abraham. Just as much the son of Abraham as Isaac. But he is born from a woman who is a slave. A bondservant. Sarah is the wife of love. Hagar is the wife of bondage, of outer shackles. Sarah was the one that the promise was given to. Hagar had her baby because there wasn't faith enough to wait. 
So Ishmael is the product of human invention. Anybody ever had the product of human invention in your life? I have. Oh, my. Doesn't work out very well. But Isaac is the son through the wife, the true wife, the son of the promise, the son of love. Now, the son of the bondservant is mocking the son of promise. He's teasing him. Mocking, the word mock means to take what's real and make fun of it. To jest about things that are true and honorable. And she said, Sarah said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will have no share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. Sounds a little bitter, don't you think? The matter distressed Abraham. The word distressed means to break to pieces. Because Abraham loved Ishmael. For 13 years he'd raised that young man. He loved Ishmael. He was of his body. He was his son. It greatly concerned, it distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Do you realize there it does not say wife, it says maidservant. God does not see Hagar as as his wife or second wife or anything like that. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So what God is saying is, is I agree with the content of what Sarah is saying, but I don't agree with her conduct. Sometimes we can be saying the word of the Lord with all sorts of attitude. So Sarah was actually saying the word of the Lord with an attitude. And it took God coming down and saying, never mind the attitude, never mind how you're feeling. This is true. Got it? For it is uh, through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also because he is your offspring. Listen how God cared for Ishmael. Now remember a chapter or two ago, he, he said, I will make you a great nation. You're going you're to have 12 kings in your, in your lineage, and, but you will be uh, against all of your brothers. Do you remember that portion? Do you remember that? Chapter 16, verse 11, the angel of the Lord said to her, you are now a child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man and his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. This is Ishmael. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food. He didn't wait another day. He obeyed immediately. God... Okay, you said it, let's do it. The next day, early the next day, like the, he woke up, walked out, got some water, got some food, put it on their backs and sent them out. Early the next morning. That's how quick he would obey. Early the next morning, Abraham took food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar and he set them on her shoulders and then sent them off with the boy, sent her off with the boy. He went, she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. Now, had we read the previous chapter a little bit more closely, where Abraham and Abimelech were together and they they made a treaty, that area there was called Beersheba. 
Beersheba is a city and an uh, area that is going to come up. The well of Beersheba. David is there a lot. Saul is there. And the future kings are going to be there. That's where that area came up. That area is, is um, in south, southern Israel. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under the bush. And, she, and then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away. A bow shot is about a half a mile, believe it or not. For she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. As she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. I don't know if God just invented that, you know, miraculously put that there, or sometimes when we are in our wandering state and our upsetness, we don't see well. But, the, but God opened her eyes. We don't see the provision sometimes God has in front of us because we are so emotionally distraught at times. But God opened her eyes and she saw the well of water. So she went and filled the skin of water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy. God had, there was extra divine protection over this young man named Ishmael. It doesn't talk about God being with anybody else. He was with Ishmael as he grew up. And he lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife from him in Egypt. Now, on, the, on your, your card there, there is a map. Okay, See where Saudi Arabia is and Iraq, that, that border? That's the desert of Paran. So Ishmael, the Ishmaelites lived where current day Saudi Arabia and Iraq are. And the majority of the, pe- the Saudis and the Iraqis are Ishmaelites. They came from Ishmael. They came from this lineage, came directly from Abraham. And they were divinely protected and they were divinely cared for because they were children of Abraham. Very interesting. Okay, so now Abraham is about ready to make a um, treaty at Beer. Oh, excuse me, I'm, I got myself cons- mixed up. The wells uh, that Abraham and Abimelech were talking about were uh, at Beersheba. Now we're going to do the treaty. Verse 22, at, the time, at that time, Abimelech and Philcal, the commander of his forces, and Abraham uh, got together said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me the country where you are living as an alien, the same kindness that we have shown you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about some wells. It goes on down. Verse 31, they make a, make a treaty there, and the place is called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. These are the wells that Abraham and Abimelech are kind of fighting over, and this is where Beersheba is. Okay, so just t- file that away in your brain that next time you read and you see the word Beersheba, you go, oh, I know all about that. That's Abraham and Abimelech. Okay, everybody all there? Promise me you'll do that? Okay, so verse 32 After the treaty had been made in Beersheba, Abimelech and Philcal, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. 
He called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. This is the fifth name of God that we have now learned about. Fifth one. Now remember, names mean character. Names mean character. The first name, Elohim, the creator of all things. The second name, Yahweh or Jehovah, the God of the covenant between him and man. This is God interacting with man. Adonai, our servant. Uh, We are the servant and he is the great master. We are completely humble before him and he is the master. Jehovah Roy. Remember that one? When Hagar was out, wandering around, God saw her and she and came and met her needs and she called on the name of Jehovah El Roy, the God who sees. God saw her when she was railing against Sarah. God saw her when she ran away. God saw her. Even after all of that sin, God saw her thirsty and dry and in great need. And God came and found her. God always sees you in your greatest need. And when you're in your greatest need, you think he doesn't see you, but he sees you. He is El Roy. Now the fifth name for God. It's called El Olam, O-L-A-M. Whenever you see him being called the eternal God, it's El Olam. Now the word El Olam, that name is only used a few times in scriptures, but the word Olam is used constantly to describe him. One of the reasons, why, you know, it's kind of odd. Why did, he, why did you just throw this in? If you think about his life now up until this point, It's been up and down. God's come to him with promises and it's been a long time. Then he runs over here and he lies and he has problems. And then God comes to him in a vision and, and, you know, all of this. Just think of Abraham's life. And then he he falls and he does another stupid thing. And and then he does this and he does that. At this point in his life, when, when Abraham comes to this point, he has his son. The promise has been made. I believe that Abraham is standing at this point in his life and he's looking back and he's going, Oh, my word. You are Olam. You are, and the word that we interpreted is eternal, but the word quite often is interpreted in better places, everlasting. You are the same. You are everlasting. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. No matter what I did, no matter where I was at, no matter how stupid I was being, you were the same. You were the same. You are an eternal God. And the sameness that I see from you, you were all the way back into eternity and you shall always be into the future. And I love all of these different, um, just the times that Olam is used. Uh, He is everlasting um, everlasting to ever the ever uh, Psalm one hundred three seventeen says that God's love is everlasting to everlasting. 
Psalm 119, 142 says that righteousness is everlasting. Psalm 145 says that his kingdom is everlasting. Isaiah 45 says his salvation is everlasting. Daniel 7 says his dominion is everlasting. I cannot believe how many scriptures describe the things of God as being everlasting. And here we are, you know, think of everlasting. Think of it going all the way that way till you can't see it. And all the way that way. And we're like right here, beep. And we're like sitting here, you know, that's all we are. We're a blip on the radar screen. And he is the same. He's been the same loving God and he will be the same loving God. And his loving kindness and everything just travels through our life. And yet we're, we're like, is he, is he going to come through for me? Is it, um, is it, I don't know. I'm kind of worried about... And you know, he hasn't talked to me for a little bit. I haven't felt him for a little bit. He's like, he's like, mm, same God, same love, same presence, same promises, same dominion. He's like, mm, and we're like, I think he's going to lose. Mm. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is El Olam, the eternal God. You might look around and think, Everything's going to hell in a handbasket and God's losing. But he's, his dominion is everlasting. Nothing changes. We're so finite, we don't get it. Open your eyes, open your heart, open your mind to the truth of who God is. Get out of your little tiny little... Remember we're little... In all of it. Yet we have the audacity to look at God and go, are you real? Are you going to really do it? I don't know. He is an eternal God. Eternal. So we are having our problems and our little hissy fits. He's like, you know, can you, what is eternal God doing? I mean, he's like, come on, honey, I told you. I'm going to take care of you. I told you. Just hang tight. Eternity's a long time. You just have a little to get over. You can do this. He is an eternal God. And he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Is this, is this hitting you? Verse 20, or chapter 22. We're going to make it. Okay, we finally got Isaac born, right? So now we can have the promise fulfilled because remember the promise is that I will make you into a great nation and we couldn't do anything until we even had one kid, right? Now we got the right kid. We had the wrong kid. We had one, but it was not the right one. So now we got the right one and now we can do this thing, right? Now we can fulfill the promise. Great nation, all the world is going to be blessed through you. Finally, there's a glimmer of hope. Sometime later, don't you love it when the, the chapter starts with that? Sometime later, we don't know how long later is. Some believe that by this time, and I want you to think in your mind, some believe, okay, so we're going to get into how Abraham was tested with Isaac on the altar. Think in your mind, what are the pictures that you have? How old is Isaac at this point? What are the, think of the pictures, the artwork that you've seen. of. What do you think he is? Little guy? Who would say little guy? 
Yes? No? Okay. Um, it is thought many, many scholars think that Isaac is 33 at this point. That's just what I've read. Some of them think he's 25, and some of them put him at 5. But a lot of them put him at 30. 35, 33, 30. I know. Just keep that in mind now as I read this story, because the story completely changes if he's not a little kid. Totally changes the whole thing. Sometime later, I wish he would have put the right date in there, God tested Abraham. Okay, so we're not going to go any farther than that. We've got halfway through the sentence. Now we've got to finish the other sentence. God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. But wait a minute, I thought God was a good God. God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. Turn over to James. James 1. What do you think James 1 says? James 1.12. Blessed is the man who preserves under trial because he has stood the test. He will receive the crown of life that God has promised those who love him. When tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me, for God cannot tempt by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But anyone who is tempted, but each one is tempted when, by his own evil desires, he's dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So this scripture here says that God doesn't tempt anyone. But, over here in Genesis 22, verse 1, it says that he tested Abraham. So we think in our minds that both of those words mean the same thing, tested and tempted. They really don't. But a lot of us in our theology think they do. I'm going through a tough time. I, you know, I don't know how people's theology plays it out. But let me give you the difference between a testing and a tempting. Satan tempts us to be drawn away with, by evil. Satan tempts us so we will fall. Satan tempts us to break from God. If you look up the word tempt, it means to cause someone to do something even though it may be wrong, bad, or evil. To tempt someone is to try to lure them away. God never tempts us. It's not God that tempts us. The word test, though, means to qualify you. When I took my test for nursing, I all of a sudden, I passed the test, and guess what? I was qualified to be a nurse. God will test you, but that testing is completely so that you will pass and get through it so you can now become qualified for something great and better. Now, every difficult situation can be spun as a tempting or a testing. And I want you to see every single one of your tough places in life, the things that you have to do, is Satan is there to tempt you away and lure you into bad things. But God is there saying, you're going to pass this thing with flying colors and you're going to be better when we're done and you're going to be qualified for great things. Do you get it? Kind of the difference between testing and tempting. 
So God's going to do something, make Abraham do something very, very huge and huge and huge and difficult. And so many people read this passage and say, see, God is a mean God. But what God is doing is he is saying, I'm going to give you a situation. It's going to be the most difficult thing that you're going to have to do. And when you do this, you are going to then be the absolute antithesis for what faith is. You're going to be written about this and you're going to fly through this thing. And yet Satan was probably there. I have no doubt going, what in the world? Don't do it and try to lure him away. All right, so let's read it. God tested him. Why does God test us? Is he mean God? He wants to qualify us for better things. God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. God had to make it very clear and plain who he meant. He says it three times. Take your son, your only son, the one you love. See that? There's no mistaking. Take your son, your only son, the one you love. And go to the region of Moriah. Do you know where the region of Moriah is? Jerusalem. There wasn't a Jerusalem yet. But when you go to Jerusalem, there's all these hills. Okay? There's, one of them is called Mount Zion. One's called Mount of Olives. One's called Calvary. Many hills are right there in Jerusalem. There's also the Temple Mount, where the temple of Solomon's temple sits, and now the Dome of the Rock sits on one of those mountains. Stick with me here in just another few minutes, and we'll run through this. So go to the region of Moriah. It's very interesting. They, abs- they actually believe that the Temple of, Ma- of the Mount, where Solomon built his temple, and now the tom- Dome of the Rock, is the exact location of this story. Take your son, your only son, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Early the next morning, there he goes again, early the next morning, he never procrastinates. Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, he took with him the two servants and his son Isaac. Now remember, this, this Isaac now is 30 years old, possibly. He's not a child. Then he had, when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, it took him three days to walk there. It was about 45 miles from Beersheba, the south part of Israel, into where Jerusalem now stands. 45 miles. It took him three days to make the trip. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I, go, I and the boy go over there. We will worship and we will come back to you. Listen to the faith of that man. God said, go and sacrifice. Abraham says, okay, I'm going to do this, but I trust you so much. And I've heard your word so many times on your promise. We are going to go over there. We are going to worship, and we are going to come back. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son, and he, carried, uh, he himself carried the fire and the knife. One of the reasons why we think Isaac was older is that he was, first of all, able to make the 45-mile trip, and now he's carrying all the wood. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up, and this is one of the most precious exchanges. Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the wood, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb 
for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. That little sentence there, the two of them went on together, signifies that they went together completely unified in believing that God would provide the lamb. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. The reason they believed that they bound, he had to tie him, was because he didn't want him to escape, or not necessarily, because there's no sign of fight. But that was typical for doing a, a sacrifice. You had to bind the legs of the lamb. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. They're very imperative. Abraham had done everything God had told him and he was ready to do it. Why was Abraham ready to do it? Because he had faith that God would even bring Isaac back to life if he would be faithful. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. Abraham looked up. How many of us in the midst of our trial, in the midst of sacrificing, in the midst of our troubles are looking down and we're so consumed with, the, with what we have to do. We are so consumed with binding him and laying there. And as he's laying him there, he's thinking in his mind, this is the son that I love so much, but God has asked me to do this and he's ready. And do you see a fight? Do you see a scream from Isaac? Do you see any rebellion from Isaac? Isaac is a willing sacrifice. Do you see now some of his character and integrity coming out because if God said for him to be sacrificed, he was willing to do it. He was a willing sacrifice. And God called out, don't do it. Abraham looked up. When we are so enthralled with and and heavy and just entwined with our issue and our problem and our difficulty, that this hard thing that God's asking us to do, all of a sudden when Abraham looked up, what did he see? The provision. We can't keep our eyes focused on what hell we're having to do. That was a horrible act that Abraham was asked to do. Sometimes we become so buried in all of this horrible, awful stuff. But as soon as Abraham lifted his eyes, what did he see? The provision of the Lord. We have to keep our eyes up all the time. Keep it on the Lord. Do not get muddled down. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. Here's name number six. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. 
The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. And he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the sky, stars in the sky. Abraham and Isaac are a complete metaphor of Jesus and, and God. Isaac was miraculously conceived, so was Jesus. Isaac, let me find my list so I don't get them wrong. Divinely conceived. Isaac and Jesus were asked to give up their life. On the third day when Abraham saw the place, that's when the ram was given as well. And his life was given back on the third day. Jesus Christ was raised on. Jesus had to carry the cross on his back. Isaac had to carry the wood for his sacrifice on his back. God provided both sacrifices. And both sacrifices were willingly surrendered. Willingly surrendered themselves. Pretty incredible. Here is the way of redemption being shown to us thousands of years before Jesus came. The Old Testament mirrors Jesus constantly. Very, very cool stuff. But there's only one difference in this story. Isaac didn't have to actually go through giving up his son. God the Father did. He went through all of the agony, those three days walking, knowing that these were his last three days to walk with his son. He went through every time that his son Isaac would say, Abba, Daddy, or they would talk about something. Every time Abraham would look at him and think, I'm going to have to slay you. I'm going to have to kill you. My, My dream, my pride, my joy, my answer, my everything. And I will tell you this right now, that you have promised is from God. You have dreams. You have visions. There is a time when God wants to know that he owns your dreams and your drive and your visions, not just us. God asks all of us to put our dreams and desires and our, our loves up on the altar so that he can know that he is the one that truly owns our hearts. But even if God asks us to give them up and sacrifice them, God still will provide in the midst of all of that. It is an incredible story. Incredible story. Verse 19, then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Can you imagine the story he had to tell when he got back? Sarah, you'll never know what happened. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. 
Hallelujah. Father God, I thank you right now for the words that you have given us, the teaching that you have given us regarding this, this Genesis and the beginning of things. And Lord God, thank you for the insight into your character and who you are, Lord God. I thank you right now, Lord Jesus, that we are understanding your character. I thank you that in, in Genesis 1, we see your creative power to bring about everything from nothing. And God, I just release that into my life, that you are a creative power in my life. I thank you, O oh Father, that, that as we turn the pages to the next chapter in Cain and Abel, we saw where Cain's heart was hard and Cain's heart was leaving you and your heart for the sinner, for the one that is departing and separating himself from you. Your heart was to run to him and beg him and talk to him and say, what are you doing? Don't choose this way. That is your heart. And God, we learned, Lord God, in the next story about Noah and about the remnant and how important the remnant is and how you will save the remnant. If you have a remnant, then you can, you have salvation for that family, for that household. Lord God, we've learned about Abraham. We've learned about how he's I just had to walk by stinking faith, faith, faith. You said it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to live for 25 years on your word. We've learned that he's not perfect. We've learned that he fell. We learned but that he came back to you and, and that you're just believing that shift. We learned that he had, uh, you owned his inner and his outer. And Father God, I love that. And I love the fact that you are Jehovah. Jaira, I love the fact that you are El Olam. I love the fact that you are Elohim. I love the fact that you are Yahweh. I love the fact that you are Adonai. Father God, continue to teach us, continue to teach us, continue to teach us in Jesus' name who you are, that we might not have a wrong belief about you that we might not be confused, but that we would know your heart in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.